0: My friends, as Congress prepares for summer recess, average working Americans are facing increasingly hard economic times, including a likely recession. Yet Congress has so far failed to provide most Americans with what they need to weather the storm. Subsidies for child care and elder care, a paid sick leave, an increase in the federal minimum wage, lower pharmaceutical costs, additional help with the next strain of COVID, and so on. But at the very same time, American corporations are lining up with their hands outstretched, seeking all sorts of special benefits before the recess begins. And there's bipartisan support for giving them what they want. Today, I want to explain why corporations so often get what they want, while average Americans don't. It's not simply that corporations bribe legislators with campaign donations, although that is a big part of it. There's another phenomenon at work that you need to know about. Consider semiconductor chips. They're the brains of modern electronics, embedded in everything from smartphones, radios, televisions, computers, video games, and advanced medical diagnostic equipment, to automobiles. As the world's supply of almost everything tries to catch up with roaring post-lockdown demand, chips inevitably are in short supply. This week, Congress is putting final touches on a piece of legislation called the CHIPS Act, which will provide more than $52 billion to companies that design and make semiconductor chips. The subsidy is demanded by the biggest chip makers as a condition for making more chips in the United States. It is pure extortion. You see, the world's biggest chip makers in terms of sales are already American. Uh, In fact, Intel, based in Santa Clara, California, uh, is literally the largest chip maker in the world. Intel hardly needs a subsidy. Its revenue rose to $79 billion last year. Its CEO, Pat Gelsinger, got a total compensation package of $79 million, which was 1,711 times larger than the average Intel employee. From the perspective of the United States, the problem is that Intel is not dealing with the current American shortage of chips by giving preference to producers in the United States. And it's not keeping Americans on the cutting edge of new chip technologies. Intel designs, assembles, and tests its chips in China, Israel, Ireland, Malaysia, Costa Rica, and Vietnam, in addition to its facilities in the United States. And it sells them everywhere. To add another layer of complication, many of Intel's American customers don't actually make their products in the United States. They are headquartered in the United States, but like Intel, they design and make stuff everywhere. Obviously, Intel would like some of the $52 billion Congress is about to throw at the semiconductor chip industry. But why exactly should Intel get the money? Among the other likely beneficiaries of the CHIP Act's benefits will be Global Foundries. Global Foundries currently makes chips in New York and Vermont, but it also makes chips in many other places around the world. Global Foundries isn't even an American corporation. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of Muba Dalha Investment Company, which is a sovereign wealth fund of the United Arab Emirates. The point is, the nation where a chipmaker or any other global corporation is headquartered has less and less to do with where it designs and makes things, or even where its customers are located. Every industry that can possibly be considered critical is now lobbying the United States government for subsidies, tax cuts, and regulatory exemptions in return for designing and making stuff in America. But they're lobbying in other nations, too. It's a giant global shakedown. India, Japan, and South Korea have all recently passed tax credits, subsidies, and other incentives amounting to tens of billions of dollars. For the semiconductor industry. And the European Union is finalizing its own Chips Act with 30 billion to 50 billion in subsidies. Even China has extended tax and tariff exemptions and other measures aimed at upgrading chip design and production there. As Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, other countries around the globe are making major investments in innovation and chip production. If we don't act quickly, we could lose tens of thousands of good-paying jobs to Europe. Who is we, Senator? That's the question. John Neufer, the chief executive of the Semiconductor Industry Association, which is the Washington, D.C., lobbying arm, of the semiconductor industry, says the industry has been under withering pressure to build new manufacturing facilities to respond to the explosion of demand for chips. But he warns that chip making facilities are often 25 to 50 percent cheaper to build in foreign countries than in the United States. Why are they so much cheaper to build abroad? Well, as he admits, it's largely because of the incentives foreign countries have offered. As capital becomes ever more global and footloose, it can play nation against nation to get the best deals in return for where it agrees to do what. Most people, by contrast, are rooted within particular nations, which gives them far less bargaining power. This asymmetry helps explain why Congress is ready to hand over 52 billion dollars to a hugely profitable global industry, but can't come up with even the $22.5 billion that the Biden administration says is necessary to cope with upcoming variants of COVID in the United States for testing, therapeutics, vaccines, and essential treatments for the next generation of vaccines. The reality is that global corporations have no loyalty to any nation as the then-CEO of U.S.-based ExxonMobil unabashedly stated, I'm not a U.S. company, and I don't make decisions based on what's good for the U.S. Now, if they're publicly owned, corporations have to be loyal to their shareholders by maximizing the value of their shares. But not even this guarantees that they will act in the best interest of the United States. Over 40 percent of the value of American-based companies is owned by non-Americans. And there's no reason to suppose a company's American owners will be happy to sacrifice investment returns for the good of the nation either. Global corporations also have to obey the laws of the countries where they make or sell their stuff, which can cause problems when those laws or policies conflict with those of other nations. I'm sorry. I'm getting um, some sort of a phone call here, but I'm not going to pay any attention. Uh, I was saying that global corporations also have to obey the laws of the countries where they make or sell their stuff, which can cause problems when those laws or policies conflict with the laws and policies of other nations. Intel makes chips in both China and the United States. Last December, Intel was slammed by China for writing a letter to its suppliers published on Intel's website, stating that the corporation had been required to ensure that its supply chain does not use any labor or source goods or services from Xinjiang and the Xinjiang region, as required by the United States, which has accused China of widespread human rights abuses in Xinjiang, home to the country's predominantly Muslim Uyghurs. Intel then deleted the reference to Chingang and apologized for the trouble it had caused, explaining that its commitment to avoid supply chains from Qingang was an expression of compliance with U.S. law, rather than a statement of its own position on the issue. The apology caused Senator Marco Rubio to threaten to make Intel ineligible for CHIP Act subsidies, saying Intel's cowardice is yet another predictable consequence of economic reliance on China. Look, nothing I've said is to dismiss the critical importance of semiconductor chips to the United States, but only to suggest that paying $52 billion in subsidies to global chip makers to make them here is a peculiarly inefficient way of responding to that importance. The real question is what conditions United States or any other nation that subsidizes chip makers, for that matter, should place on receipt of such subsidies. It can't be enough that a company merely agrees to make or design chips in America, because chip makers are already doing that. It can't be that they'll create more American jobs in chip making, because jobs in low-end fabrication that require little skill or knowledge are not going to build the technological capabilities of the U.S. workforce. And it can't just be that the chip makers agree to produce more chips in the United States because additional production in the United States is no guarantee against future shortages in the United States. Remember, these corporations are global. They sell their chips around the world to the highest bidders wherever the chips are produced. If we want to tie the public subsidy to the public interest, we should demand that any chips produced in America, over and above those already produced here, focus on the highest value-added parts of chip making, design, design engineering, and high-precision manufacturing. So Americans gain that technological expertise. And we should demand that in the event of chip shortages, the subsidized chipmakers give highest priority to their American-based customers, customers using the chips and products made in the United States by American workers. But what happens if every nation now subsidizing or about to subsidize chipmakers demands exactly the same? Well, obviously, the chipmakers can't grant most favored nation status to every nation. They'll have to choose. Besides, how do we ensure that a big chunk of the $52 billion we're about to give away to the semiconductor industry is not frittered away on shareholders and executive pay? As has been the case every time the United States government has subsidized Wall Street banks. Perhaps we should make chip makers agree not to buy back their shares of stock for at least a certain number of years, or pay their executives more than, say, 50 times the pay of their median workers, and also give the government partial ownership in the form of an equity interest. As Senator Bernie Sanders, who is pushing these conditions in an amendment to the CHIP Act, has said, there's no reason to socialize the chipmaker's risks and privatize their profits. If American taxpayers are going to give this semiconductor industry $52 billion, we should get a return on our investment.